Hey, if you were here with us during the announcements right up the top, you might have heard about the fact that our seniors luncheon is starting up again. And I'm, I'm so excited for that, not only for the fact that it's happening, but for how it got restarted. So there's a seniors Bible study here and, and the leadership was, you know, they, they were like, hey, we're really good at gathering together and growing together, but what would it look like for us to give and go together? And they're like, hey, what, what, what if we were to restart this seniors luncheon? And it's amazing how the first one's almost sold out and, you know, we're going to be doing it monthly. So hopefully, seniors, I can come and be an honorary member one of these months because I love food. All right. Okay. So, and I love you too. Okay. So, um, I'm gonna, we're going to look at a few different photos here, a series of different photos, and I want you to place yourself in this situation, okay? Imagine with me. Imagine you were asked to give a presentation in front of your whole school or workplace. And then when you peeked out the curtain, you saw this. What would you do? Would you walk out confidently with your speech memorized or would you grab hold of the curtain because you're nervous? Or let's say you were invited, your friend invited you to a party with a bunch of other people. You, you thought it was going to be small, but, but, when you, um, but when you opened up the door and walked into the party, this is what you saw. What would you do? Would you pop your collar and strut right in or, or would you maybe grab hold of your stomach and pretend you're sick? Or let's say you're, you're reading outside and it's a beautiful summer day and, and you know, you're just deep in your book, but then uh, you, you, you lift up your head and then all of a sudden when you do that, you see this. <laughs> what would you do? Would you grab that book and smack that spider or, or would you grab hold of the armrest and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Or let's say you're walking along one of the many bridges we have in our city, walking over the North Saskatchewan River, and then all of a sudden you, you things start to shake a little bit, and, and you hear some noises, and, and, then, and all of a sudden you're falling, and you see this. What would you do? Probably grab hold of whatever you can, right? Man. Okay, so let's take a deep breath. You know, I recognize that for some of you, that was a very stressful four photos and you're like, God, Daniel, what are you doing to me? And, and then others of you are laughing at those people and some of you are just you're, just, you're just in a cold sweat right now, right? You're still shaking. But you know, the fact is we're all scared of something, right? And you know, maybe the only reason you're laughing is because I didn't show you this particular thing that I know you're scared of. Just kidding, nothing was supposed to come up. I just wanted you to imagine that that thing would come up. Uh, okay, so no more photos, all right? I promise no more, actually maybe just one more. Because, um, you know, I love dogs. <laughs> come on, even if you're not a dog person, just look at those eyes, right? Oh, okay, all right. Okay, maybe one more. You know, let's, let's just, okay, See, look at that. That pause like does not touch the ground ever. Uh, okay, okay, one more, one more, one more. <laughs> you know, there's absolutely no point to these photos right now. It's just, it's just to relieve, relieve the tension. So let's just see one more, and then we'll, and then we'll keep on going. I promise. Okay, this is yes for the win, for the win. Okay, so you know what's interesting? When we're face to face with that thing we're scared of, 
right? Whatever that might be for you. Or you see something that triggers a fight, flight, or freeze response. Doesn't it seem like that thing has a grip over us? You know what I'm talking about? Three weeks ago, we, we, we started on this journey of recalibrating our lives to the way of Jesus. On week one, we looked at how, what it looks like to gather regularly, intentionally, and in unity with each other. And then last week, we talked about how a growing faith is an active faith, a maturing faith, and a together faith. So this week, we are gonna learn how the practice of giving is foundational to recalibrating our lives to the way of Jesus. We're gonna particularly see and discover how giving loosens the grip that religion, riches, and relationships have over us. Friends, uh, you and I, uh, Jesus wants you and I to live freely and lightly. He doesn't want us to be saddled down with obligation. He doesn't want us to be governed by fear or, or pride or guilt or shame or, or anything like that. Jesus doesn't want anything to have a grip on us. And, and that's why he says this in Matthew 11. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So today we're going to learn that to live, the way to live freely and lightly is, lightly is not by letting go of the things that we're holding on to, but it's actually by letting go of the things that are holding on to us. We're going to discover um, in the Bible today that the, the three areas that tend to have too tight of a hold on us are religion, riches, and relationships. So let's start with the grip of religion. And we're going to see in Luke chapter 18, there's this guy who approaches Jesus and he asks Jesus what seems like a very innocent question about eternal life. So, so take a look at verse 18. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. I have kept all these from my youth, he said. You know, everything about the way that this guy is approaching Jesus and talking to him and responds to him reveals that he's living under the grip of religion. He's approaching Jesus and there's just this thing where he's trying to impress Jesus. Do you, do you see it? I mean, take a look at verse 19. He, he calls Jesus good teacher in verse 18. And when he calls Jesus good teacher, he's doing this because he wants to impress Jesus. But Jesus sees right through his shenanigans. And in verse 19, he says this, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Now, Jesus here isn't rejecting the title because it's false. No, it's true. Jesus is good. But he's rejecting the title because he sees how this man is, is saying this to try to impress him and impress others. See, because in that day, there's this cultural principle of reciprocation. So if someone were to give you a compliment and call you good 
teacher or, or good whatever or, or say that in any way, you would be expected, you would feel an obligation to return that compliment. So, so the guy goes to Jesus and he sees there's lots of other people around there and he's like, hey, good teacher. And I don't know what he had in his mind, but he was probably hoping Jesus would say something like, hey, good looking, <laughs> right? Or like, hey, good hat, right? Or good, like good something because there is this reciprocation. He was expecting to be complimented back. Wow. So maybe he wanted to know the answer to the question, but maybe he actually just wanted to Maybe this is just all about him, <laughs> right? Maybe he just wanted Jesus to impress him in front of other people. And, and Jesus sees through it all and he sees the grip that religion has on this man. Friends, friends, this man is trying so hard to impress Jesus and impress others because he's living under the grip of religion. He, he sees and he knows that, man, okay, if I, because I'm, he, maybe he doesn't re- recognize and realize that he's living under the grip of religion, but he's going around and he's trying to impress his way to eternal life. So here's my piety, here are my actions, here's my, my good deeds, my good everything, and, and you know, hopefully if I do enough of this, then I'll inherit eternal life. So, so he's like, yeah, I, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. He's trying to impress because he's living under the grip of religion. But friends, that's not the way of Jesus. Religion is not the way of Jesus. Religion is a heavy burden that Jesus did away with. Right, because religion says do and Jesus says done. Religion says get it done and, and Jesus says I got it done. Religion says impress me and Jesus says I'm already impressed. Friends, the way of Jesus is so different from every other religion out there. And you know, because of Jesus, there's absolutely nothing that we can do in order to impress God. There's nothing that we can do because Jesus did it all for us. There's nothing that we can do to make him love us more. There's nothing that we can do to make him love us less. We can't impress God. We can't unimpress him. He just loves us. And he wants us to live freely and lightly. That's why he says this in Matthew 11. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on this incessant need to impress and have this checklist and get this done in order to feel better, this, this burden of religion. Are you burned out on this? And he says, lay that all aside. Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So friends, if you feel like you're living under the grip of religion and you want to loosen its grip on your life, then this is what you need to do. My dear brothers and sisters, you need to give away your need to impress God and have everything in order. Just come as you are. Just walk with Jesus. He says, walk with me. Let's walk together as we together walk 
with Jesus because Jesus will never lay anything burdensome on our backs. All the burdensome things that are on our backs right now that we feel that we feel like we need to live up to and live according to, he's like, hey, that's not actually from me. That's the burden of religion. I have come to take that away and I want you to follow me. And when you do that, it's gonna be free. It's gonna be light. It's gonna be joyful. So friends, in Luke 18, uh, Jesus not only showed us how to live free from the grip of religion, but he showed us how many of us are actually living under the grip of riches. Now, we don't know um, the specific name of this man. Um, we don't know his name, but what we do know about him is that he's rich, young, and influential. Now, now just because you're, you might be rich, young, and influential doesn't mean you're automatically living under the grip of riches. That's, that's, that's just what we know about him. And so after his attempt to impress Jesus and impress others, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting how Jesus then responds to him. Uh, this guy says, I've kept all these from my youth, right? Like, I, I've, I've done this. I, I got this going. I, I got it, you know, I'm good to go. And then Jesus confronts him differently than he would have expected in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he told them. He told them, you still act one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now, after he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. And seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So what exactly is Jesus talking about here? Like, is he saying, like, is Jesus somehow making this blanket statement that to follow the way of Jesus is to sell everything you have and give it to the poor? Like, is that what we're talking about here? I mean, after all, he is ultimately inviting this man to come follow him. Now, remember, uh, this rich young ruler's initial question was, how do I inherit eternal life? So when Jesus says, hey, sell all you have and give to the poor, he's not saying that this is the way to inherit eternal life. If that's what he was actually intending to say, then Jesus would have been putting more religion on this man. Because he would have been saying, hey, to inherit eternal life, here's what you gotta do. But that's not what Jesus said. That's not what he meant. And in fact, um, that would have been very contradictory to everything that Jesus would have taught. And if you were to look at the very next chapter and how he interacted with Zacchaeus, it would have been contrary to that too. Do you know Zacchaeus? I mean, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Do you know, you know this guy? He climbed up in a sycamore tree, the Lord he wanted to see. The Lord passed by and said, Zacchaeus, you come down, because I'm going to your house today, because I'm going to your house today. You know this song, this, this guy Zacchaeus, you know, if you were to read the very next chapter, Luke 19, you would see that Zacchaeus doesn't actually sell everything he has. And Jesus didn't even ask him to sell everything he has. And yet Jesus said, you're saved. So what's up with that? Right? Why did Zacchaeus get it off 
get off easy and this rich young ruler had to give away everything. Well, it's because selling everything is not the point. It's not the point here. Jesus is the way to eternal life, not the selling of your possessions. So then why, right? Then why does Jesus ask this man to sell everything he has and give to the poor? It's because he sees the grip that riches has on this man. That's why. Now, you know, as much as it might seem like this man loves God and knows a lot about God, it's apparent that he seems to love money more than God. And it's not just that he has money, it's almost as if money has him. And so Jesus here is simply trying to help him break free from the grip of riches. Now, maybe you're sitting and you're like, okay, but um, I, I like money. Like, I'd rather have money than not. So is that all that bad? Uh, right? Maybe you're thinking this and you're like, so am I living under the grip of riches? Like, how do I even know that? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, <laughs> here are four danger signs that that you might be living under the grip of riches, okay? The first one is this, you always crave more of it. Now, even though considering all things, you have more than enough, right? You always seem to crave more money and it just seems like even when you get more money, you don't have enough money. And you used to, and, I mean, you have more money than you used to have and, and you're like, I, this doesn't make sense. Like I always seem to want and need more of it, if you're constantly pursuing it and constantly chasing more for more of it, here's God's word for you. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and by, what's that word? By craving it, by pursuing it, some have wandered away from the faith. Not only that, that's not bad enough, <laughs> but by doing this, by craving it, by pursuing it, they've pierced themselves with many griefs. Well, another danger sign you might be living under the grip of riches is that you compare yourself to others, right? Instead of living with an attitude of gratitude, you're walking along your day and you're like, wow, man, what's she wearing? How much did that cost? <laughs> or, or, or you're like, oh, this truck, <laughs> this truck. If I only had this truck, my life would be complete. Or, or maybe it's, it's that yard that your neighbor has and the way the grass is just like, how is the grass cut? Just like, like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? I've tried for 16 years. Try, I've just given up. Like, forget that. Maybe it's the countertops, right? Like, if I only had nice countertops. So, I mean, if, you, if you feel like there's some of this in your life and in any manner in any way, I pray that this would be your prayer. I don't say this out of need. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Oh Lord, may that be true. And may that be so for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that we would know how to make do with little and we would know how to make do with a lot. And I pray that in any and all circumstances, we will learn the secret of being content.
whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I pray that this would be your prayer. Well, the third danger sign that you might be living under the grip of riches is that you might sin to get it. Have you ever cheated on your income taxes? Not reported everything you made? Or maybe when it comes to that timesheet or that expense report, you've rounded up a couple times. Or, or, or maybe the way that it's the way that you got that client who was, yeah, was kind of borderline, kind of less than kosher. If that's you, may you be reminded from Hebrews 4 that no creature is hidden from him. But all things, all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Well, the last dangerous sign that you might be living under the grip of riches is that you resent giving it away. Like it's, why? Because it's yours, <laughs> All right? It's like, you earned it, you deserve it, you worked hard for it, it's your precious, it's yours, and you know, even if you didn't work hard for it, it's still yours, right? <laughs> so why should I give it away? Friends, this thinking is greed because the money in your wallet, the money in your bank account, the money you have is not actually yours. And see what it says in Psalm 24, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, all that we have, all that we are, all of it is, and it belongs to the Lord. And you know what? This thinking, this greed is idolatry, it's sin. In Colossians 3 we read, put to death, therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Friends, if you said yes, or maybe like a silent yes to any one of these four danger signs, then you might be living under the grip of riches. And if that's the case, I want to turn your attention to Luke chapter 8. And, and perhaps you want to read that this upcoming week, because in Luke 8, I find it absolutely fascinating how Jesus talks about different types of seeds, and, and he says that the seed that fell among thorns are actually the ones who are living under the grip of riches. And that the seed that falls among thorns cannot produce mature fruit. Maybe that's an answer to, Lord, why aren't I more mature today than last year? Maybe because you've been choked by the worries of riches and the pleasures of life. You know what, if that's you, then, then here's what you need to do to loosen the grip of riches. My dear brothers and sisters, you need to give away an increasing percentage of your earnings to the church and to the poor. Now here's the thing, only God knows how much that might be for you, right? I mean, for the rich young ruler, it was everything. <laughs> Uh, for Zacchaeus, it was half, so friends, I, I, I pray that we'd be courageous to ask the Lord and ask what that might be for you and I, for you. Well, you know, uh, after the rich young ruler went away sad, Jesus talked about one more thing that tends to have a grip on us, and, and he talked about the grip of relationships. Now it's interesting here how Peter didn't necessarily struggle with this. Uh, take a look at what he says in verse 28. 
look, we have left what we had and followed you, right? Peter is essentially saying, okay, I see everything that just happened here. And he's like, I'm good. I'm not living under the grip of religion. I'm, I'm not living under the grip of riches because look, like, I've given everything up and I'm following you. I'm not following other things. I'm following you. And then Jesus then, so then Jesus then says one more thing. And he says here that, that, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left a housewife or brothers or sisters, parents or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at this time an eternal life in the age, of come, in, in the age to come. So, so Jesus here is saying that, that actually another thing that prevents us from living freely and lightly is the grip of relationships. Now, I, I recognize that some of you might be sitting here and you're like, come on, Daniel. Like, give me a break. <laughs> like, you're just, you're just going after one and another and another. Like, I feel uncomfortable as, you know how many times I've shifted in my seat? Like, this is getting a little awkward. And now you're talking about relationships and what, what? Like, what did Jesus say? Leave? Leave who? <laughs> you know, if, if that's what you're thinking, if that's what you're feeling... Um, I get it. I get it. Uh, it's so easy in our walk with Jesus to skip over the hard stuff. I've done it way too many times to count. It's so easy to just maybe read it fast. You know, you're not a speed reader, but all of a sudden you've become a speed reader. <laughs> you're in the next chapter. But when we sit with these hard texts, and we ask Jesus, so what does this mean? And what does this mean, not only back then, but what does this mean now? Our lives are richer for it. Our faith is deeper for it. And we not only know Jesus deeply, but we get to be known by him more fully. So let's take a look at what Jesus here is saying and what he's not saying. What Jesus is not saying is he's not telling you here to move out of your house. Okay, this isn't, if you have like a young adult living at home, this isn't, this is God's sign for you. All right, that's not what this is saying. And, and this is not, Jesus is also not saying leave, to leave your spouse either. And he's not saying here to cut off your siblings. And he's not saying to disown your parents or disown your kids. What Jesus here is talking about is priority. What he's talking about here is that Jesus needs to be the first relationship in your life. Not the second, not the third, not the fourth, and that nothing and no one should get in the way of living for him and following him. Take a look at this one pastor, how this one pastor puts it. It's a nuance here. Jesus he writes this, Jesus will demand our entire lives. He will rearrange our lives. He will remove us from relationships and circumstances that we love but that are not pleasing to him. He will cause us to make stands even against our loved ones where he's concerned, where he's concerned. He will call us to make stands that may cost us greatly, like our spiritual brothers and sisters in Muslim and Hindu lands who lose their families, homes, and churches for their faith in Christ and persecution. And he will call us all 
to do all these costly things, but he will reward us with an everlasting kingdom and eternal life. Friends, this is what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying that our grip on him needs to be greater than the grip that our relationships, that, that even our most precious relationships have on us. So if you're living under the grip of relationships and you want to live freely and lightly as Jesus intends for you to, then here's what you need to do. My dear brothers and sisters, you need to give away control. You need to stop trying to control your kids. And kids, you need to stop trying to control your parents. (laughs) And adults, you need to stop trying to control your aging parents. You need to stop trying to control your siblings. You need to stop trying to control your friends or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or, or your neighbors or your coworkers. Now, I'm not saying that we should stop caring. Jesus here isn't saying, hey, stop being, he's not telling you to stop being responsible in relationships where you are the caregiver. He's not saying to leave behind covenant relationships and commitments you've made. He's not saying that. What he's saying here, what he's helping us recognize and understand is that those people, those people, that he loves them just as much as he loves you. That he knows their needs just as much as you might think you know their needs and what's best for them. He knows actually what's best for them. He knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for us. He knows what all of us truly need. So instead of, instead of trying to control the relationships in our lives, what would it look like to turn our eyes to Jesus and, and, and place every other relationship in our peripheral vision instead? Now here, here's what I'm talking about. Imagine a triangle, okay? Where Jesus is at the top and, and you're on one corner and, and that relationship that's come to mind is at the other corner. Oftentimes what happens in relationships is as we are growing in relationship to one another and with one another, our eyes are on them, right? We want, we're, we're, we're concerned about them, we love them, we're, we're thinking about them, we're, we're processing it, and our eyes are on them. But what happens in a triangle if your eyes are this way, then Jesus is actually in your peripheral vision, right? And, and as you draw near to this person, are you actually drawing near to Jesus, no. I mean, maybe all you math geniuses are like, well, actually, trigonometry says that, uh, yeah, it's just, you're not getting close, you're just doing this, right? But what would happen if our eyes weren't on these relationships, but our eyes were on Jesus, and we drew near to Jesus, and the relationships in our lives were in our peripheral vision? We're drawing near to Jesus, right? But would we also be drawing near to them? Yeah, we would. Isn't it interesting how that works? You know, uh, um, as much as this passage has shown us that giving loosens the grip that religion, riches, and relationships have over our lives, uh, let's not forget the initial question that this rich young ruler approached Jesus with. He didn't ask Jesus, how do I loosen all the grips on my life? Right? He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So let's answer that. My dear brothers and sisters, because Jesus gave up his life, we can inherit eternal life. 
because Jesus gave up himself, we can live free from the grip that religion, riches, and relationships have over us. Because Jesus gave up his life, he broke the grip that religion, riches, and relationships have on our lives. And so because of his love for us, because of his sacrifice for us, because of his unending grace and mercy for us, we can live freely and fully. Friends, because Jesus first gave, we can give away our need to impress God and have everything in order, in order to loosen the grip that religion might have on us. Because Jesus first gave, we can give away an increasing percentage of our earnings to the church and to the poor in order to loosen the grip that riches have on us. And you know what? Because Jesus first gave, we can give away control in order to loosen the grip that relationships have on our lives. So my dear brothers and sisters, since giving loosens the grip that religion, riches, and relationships have on our lives, I pray that our God Almighty would grant each and every one of us the courage and the strength to sit at his feet, to hear his voice, to ask him which grip has a hold on our lives, and to walk freely and lightly as he intends us to. Amen? Amen. So why don't we do that? Why don't we stand? And I want to invite the worship team forward. And, and we've been singing this song, Christ Be Magnified, for a while now. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's this phrase in the bridge that goes like this. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. When we sing those words, when we sing this song, would you be so courageous and bold to ask Jesus if riches, religion, riches, or relationships have been an idol for you, are an idol for you? Would you be so bold and courageous to sit before him and ask that he would search your heart and show you if there's a grip that any of these things has on you? And then would you then respond in humility? Let's do that together right now.